0: Obviously, doctor, you've never been a thirteen-year-old girl. I see it, we know that. Girl, uh, yeah, uh, I, know. I don't. Take that blade, please. Drag it across the skin. I approach, your skin. So I just down. Sometimes I don't. think I was born
1: backwards. You know. Oh. Come out my mom the wrong way. Um, welcome back to hate fiction. I'm here today with a very special guest. Do you want to introduce yourself?
0: Sure, I'm uh I'm on Twitter. I go by uh, Neko Sattva and I run a magazine called uh, Neko Girl Magazine. And I wanna... write all kinds of...
1: <laughs> Sorry, there's a bit of a delay. <laughs> um, do you want to tell us about the magazine? <laughs>
0: sure, sure. Uh, the magazine is uh, officially a uh, Fujo Batai studies, which is, uh, comes from Fujoshi, which is Japanese for uh, a girl with terrible hobbies. And then we're also named after Georges Bataille, who was a very uh, kind of underground, obscure French philosopher, but all the big French philosopher names know him. Uh, Baudrillard, for example, was really big into Bataille. So um, I guess what I'm saying is I'm the perfect uh, expert for this episode.
1: You are. Yeah. I mean, initially I DM'd you because of your profile pic. Um <laughs> which is yeah. also very fitting for the theme of this episode, and mm. well the theme of of this episode, I guess I'll just introduce it is um porn we're going to be talking about porn um
0: <laughs> mm. what's
1: your what what are your initial thoughts
0: i mean you know it's it's kind of hard to grab your like grasp how much of it there really is, you know, like um, I had this thought like I think five years ago where I thought like the only real successful art form in our today's society is probably uh, pornography, you know, but, uh, you know, but wrote about pornography and what his idea of pornography was, is just completely different from what our idea of pornography was. And the uh, the book that you uh, assigned to me as homework. Uh, Seduction by Jean Baudrillard is uh, really influenced by Bataille, but you can see how he kind of uh, is kind of trying to understand today's world or, well, the world of, the 80s anyway, in terms of this kind of uh, Bataille philosophy that he's interested in, you know. He talks about all kinds of uh, exertions of energies and things like this, It's kind of very, uh, you know, I think very 40s and 50s kinds of concepts that we don't really think about anymore.
1: Right, well, I mean, but the old version of pornography is really, like, erotica, though, right? It's, like, um, it's very different from, like... The porn that we have now which is yeah
0: yeah
1: all image based
0: <laughs> exactly there's a funny post by i think this uh this horrible guy who like films himself like beating women on videos and stuff and i think he posted like uh venus De milo and he was like see pornography has always existed you got venus De milo <laughs> just very funny way of kind of backporting your uh ideas of what pornography is but i think that speaks to what you were saying for sure
1: I mean, it kind of does, right? Because I think a lot of people also see pornography as just like nudity, right? Or like yeah. um, like anything to do with like, yeah, nudity and like the body and and like different versions of what that like includes. So be it like images or like videos or like, um, this is actually kind of funny because like the first episode that I ever did for this podcast was on ASMR. And um, like like during the episode, we like talked a lot about how, ASMR is very pornographic and then I I didn't know that when we like recorded that episode but actually there is ASMR pornography like straight up like people like whispering into the microphone and like pretending to like have sex in an ASMR way like it's like a whole category on Pornhub now so
0: that's kind of funny (laughs) yeah I mean you know not to get like too uh, sociological about it but I think there is a kind of a very kind of Protestant uh, approach to this you know like this ASMR porn. It reminds me of is uh, like, uh, what did the Mormons call it? Soaking. Oh
1: yeah, God. <laughs> right,
0: right. It's do you want to like... explain what it is? No, I, <laughs> for those I who don't, don't know. Actually... <laughs> I, I run a porn magazine, but I'm actually very shy about this. So you should explain it.
1: Um, I I don't know if I'm getting this right, but basically they like put the tip in, but they don't like move, so it doesn't count as sex, right? Is that what they exactly. do? Exactly.
0: <laughs> Exactly. It's like it's a you know, it's like figuring out ways of to have of, of having sex without actually having it. And that's what I think about ASMR porn. It's a way to like basically like have like an abstract like idea of sex without actually doing the sexual thing itself. And I think it's just a very like very American. Very thing, you know? Like catholic right, will just have yeah. sex and then just you know, feel guilty about it. But
1: Wait, you like keep on disappearing. Like when you move, you're like suddenly really far away. It, it sounds like you're like moving away from the computer.
0: That's terrible. Um.
1: <laughs> Just stay in one place. Don't move. Don't move. Okay. Um, I'm gonna stay no. still. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no. It's funny though because. But do you think that porn itself is like sex, or is it something completely different?
0: Oh, it's absolutely not. Absolutely not sex um, I think if it was sex Way less people would Consume it so avidly <laughs> The same too You know <laughs> Cause uh, You know, There's a You know <laughs> Actually uh, I think I got this From Red Scare I'm sure you know Red Scare But uh, it, Yeah uh, Dasha The blonde one Was talking about Like a, Like her boyfriend Was like So addicted to porn That he didn't even Want sex anymore He just wanted Pornography And I think like uh, It was kind of yeah,
1: oh, you're disappearing! Don't move.
0: Okay, I'm gonna keep. I think what it is is that I move my head when I want to think yeah. about something interesting to say. Yeah, staying straight think,
1: ahead. Yeah, <laughs> think about it without moving, please. Okay. Um, sorry, I
0: interrupted you. No, it's okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's just like pornography has a very different set of uh, I don't know how do you call it rules, aesthetical principles, very different goals than um, sex. I mean, the most obvious one is that sex, for most people who have it, you know, can result in a kind of uh, reproductive process. And then the the, porn, the point of porn is definitely that there's no such process at all. Uh, Patai actually talks about this. He talks about the energies that you can't do anything with. So you can't reproduce and you can't have war and you can't do, I mean, war is a, you know, one of the oldest ways to change society, right? So you can't reproduce, you can't have war, uh, you know, you don't have stuff to buy. So what you end up doing is all kinds of behaviors that kind of express this uh, cursed energy. (laughs) I think pornography, especially in our society, is a very, very powerful uh, tool for this, you know? Uh, You know, I mean... You know, don't go onto 4chan because it's it's terrible. It'll mess you up. But if you do go onto 4chan, the first thing you'll notice is that everyone is very angry and also just completely obsessed with pornography. And I think these two are, are have an interesting
1: right. Well, it's like as you said, like the energy isn't being released in any meaningful way, right? Like there's no purpose to it. Instead of just like kind of collected in this like feedback loop of like watch porn you're like think about it you reply to it you watch more porn and it's like there's no end process to it or like I guess like the end product of pornography is or like of the creation of pornography is pornography itself right like there's no like the child isn't created but like the child is the the footage of the act itself if that makes sense
0: yeah yeah I mean I don't think we should bring children into this, but yeah. (laughs) It is related after all, but. For sure. It's, that's interesting about it. It's also very self-sustaining, you know, pornography gives ground to new kinds of pornography. And, you know, they even, they even came up with ways to like, you know, they came up with like tolerance breaks. They take breaks from pornography so that when they come back to pornography, it's like new again. And, you know, I don't know. I don't know if your audience is the kind that has long-term partners, but that's definitely not true in marriage or long-term sex. It definitely—you don't take breaks and come back to it. it. It changes into something completely different.
1: Right, but I mean, pornography is an addiction, right? And essentially, yeah, you, like gone. your brain gets addicted to it.
0: I mean, why else would people do it? You know, <laughs> it's got to be—it's got to be good and it's got to be addictive, else you know—that's
1: the point. Right. But I mean, I think people also do it because they have nothing better to do. It's kind of like, you know, they don't have any other options. So they just sort of, that's their last resort in a way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's interesting, like what we choose to do when we're bored, you know, because there's a lot of things you can be doing when you're bored, you know, like uh, you could build like a house of cards <laughs> or you could write books, you could write literature, you could become like, you know, during the COVID uh, lockdown, for example, there are a lot of people and a lot of annoying people on Twitter. They're like, this is it, you know, there's going to be like a creative explosion of just like people creating amazing works of art. And that didn't happen because people were mostly just watching pornography.
1: <laughs> I started podcasting, so
0: <laughs> podcasting, there you go. Same podcasting. There. For me, podcasting is a little a little uh, higher of an art than pornography. but
1: not much. It is. I mean, it is. Yeah. I think there's more effort that goes. I mean, although I don't know. You know what's really funny? I was watching this interview with Sasha Gray, like, literally, like, 20 minutes before we start um, recording. And it's, like, an old one that she did with Vice when her book of photography came out. And in it, she's, like, talking about how she got into porn. And um, she's, like, trying to describe her, like, thinking process. And she's, like, oh, you know um, – I, I like I was in college and I was studying and if I wasn't studying I was watching porn and when I was watching porn I was thinking hmm I <laughs> what, wait I wrote it down um she said something really funny she was like oh um I, th- I thought there was a creative aspect missing <laughs> and <laughs> so she thought she could like contribute to the industry by becoming part of it and like bring creativity back into porn basically I thought it was really funny
0: mm. you know it's not a it's not an original thought. Uh, have you ever seen Boogie Nights? Um, I haven't actually. No. You should I mean, this should have been research for you. Boogie Nights is a Paul Thomas Anderson movie about uh, he's kind of lamenting the golden age of pornography and how creative it was versus the you know the '90s age of pornography, which is kind of like seedy and violent, you know, no storylines. And, You know, I think uh, I think this kind of desire for creativity in porn. It's an admirable one, but I think it also kind of misunderstands what what porn is and kind of why it developed in the way that it did and why it's so popular. You know, I mean, like the Cosmo article you sent, we talked about like boutique ethical porn and uh, stuff like this. But I think that's a really small, you know, really small uh, what you say raindrop in a rain of of pornography. I, I don't. I think it's a very kind of niche thing.
1: But do you believe in ethical porn? Because I personally don't. I don't think it's a thing. I don't think it can ever exist.
0: (laughs) Uh, I mean, one, yeah, I don't think it's ethical. And two, I don't think people want ethical porn, really.
1: No, uh, absolutely. Yeah, they don't.
0: (laughs) I mean, you know, just imagine, like, you know, you're, uh, you're really into someone. And, you know, you get into, like, a, a relationship and they're like, you know, I can't wait to do a lot of ethical things with you. It would kind of be a turnoff, right? I can't wait you to want treat them to you
1: really nicely.
0: Yeah, it would be kind of a turnoff. You want them to be like, you know, gee, I don't know, you know, maybe I'm going to do something that's wrong. And you'll be like, wow, it's, you know, okay, that's exciting.
1: Yeah. Red flags are a turn on. No, absolutely. Um, but that Cosmo article that I sent you, I I, I was genuinely like, because I mean, I guess the general theme of this podcast is like Tumblr and like Tumblr culture. And uh, famously, there was a lot of porn on Tumblr. But like the porn that I used to encounter as like a preteen on Tumblr was definitely not ethical in any way. Um, it was very violent. And so this article kind of shocked me because in it, like the... The writer is talking about how basically she was trapped in a sexless marriage and um, like looking up porn on Tumblr made her realize that there were um, like different aspects of sex that she had never thought of before. And so she writes... Um, I never took much pleasure in sex anyway. I knew others did, which gave me a resounding and incessant urge to find out what I was missing. And then she continues to say, uh, with, like with Tumblr, but like searching a porn on Tumblr, I was able to discreetly and safely view other people's sexual tastes and interests, take what I like from it, fold it into my own pastiche of sexual pleasure and disregard the rest, which genuinely was like, <laughs> that's a really funny way to word it. That's also a really funny way to look at it.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's very technical. You know? <laughs> it is very uh,
1: technical and also like I think it's really funny that she was so disconnected from her own sexuality but also the only way of connecting with it that she could think of was by looking up images of other people having sex. Like instead of you know instead of like coming up to her husband <laughs> the, the marriage with whom was like failing or like finding a new partner or whatever she was like I'm just gonna go look at images of other people enjoying it and maybe then I'll can like brainwa- brainwash myself into enjoying it too. Instead of like,
0: yeah, yeah,
1: instead instead of like going off the feeling of what turns her on, she was like, "Oh, I'm just gonna like you know absorb the images because porn is not about like the feeling; it's about like I guess it's about the visual. Um, I don't know pleasure of looking at that stuff.
0: Well, no, but that that brings up the where the pleasure really comes from, which is from the projection. You know, porn is so devoid of I don't know content. I guess is the right thing to say porn is so devoid of content because it makes it much easier to represent yourself onto it. You know, like that's what this uh, woman was doing too. She needed like something like an empty kind of space from which to project one of these things, maybe because she was never given this empty space as a kid. You know, I mean, a lot of places in America are very repressive still. Uh, what ends up happening is not that they have less sex, but they have more sex and it's much more toxic and, uh, Uh, like toxic and broken (laughs) much more damaged kind of uh, relationships that you end up having
1: well yeah I mean because the more sex you have is probably like when people say people have more like you know like the whole like statistical thing where it's like people are having more sex or whatever like sex positivity it's not that they're actually having more sex it's that they're having sex with more people right and like that's not that's not how that's not how you have good sex though like especially with women Like sleeping around is not going to
0: do (laughs) it. Yeah, there's that. um, I noticed that too. It's like women need to have more sex, but then they're having less fun doing it. And that's how you end up with a lot of Cosmo articles about how sex is supposed to be better than it is.
1: <laughs> right, but I mean, love uh, women also love writing about having bad sex. It's like a thing in like female centric literature. Like, have you noticed? It's like always like, oh, uh, you know, and then and then <laughs> and then and then we had sex and it was awful and I hated it. And that's like that's like a thing. Like every single like popular novel um, of like the last ten years. That's not like you know overtly girly. If it's like edgy, then it's prob then it probably has at least one scene that's like about the main character having bad
0: sex. No, the first American feminist blockbuster piece of literature was about a woman having disappointing sex. So <laughs> I think this is as trad as you can get with feminism. I think that's the very first piece of literature was about that.
1: Which one are you thinking about? Which one is it?
0: I don't know. I, let me, uh, <laughs> I mean, it's kind of silly to look it up on. Let me look it up, let's
1: see. No, just Google it, it's cool, it's fine.
0: And then also, uh, French feminism also, at the start, was all about kind of uh, sexual liberation, people having as much sex as possible. And this kind of came out of this whole kind of uh, very distinctly French kind of movement. You know, Marquis de Sade famously talked about uh, these kind of you know, it's kind of reminiscent actually of the internet. He kind of talked about these zones where the ordinary rules of society don't really apply. And whatever horrible kind of uh, inclinations you have, you can kind of act them out in this zone far removed from society. And then, you know, you you button up your culottes and you come back to regular society. And uh, because those two things are separate, you never have to worry about people judging you or kind of being suppressed. For who you, you are. That's a kind of a very distinct uh, idea that Marquis de Sade had, and that uh, Bataille and Baudrillard later also uh, kind of elaborated on.
1: It's funny, actually, because in that Vice interview that I referenced before, like the Sasha Gray one, she also talks about how she like, um, she had this like idea, this very like male centric idea of what her sex life should look like, as in like, you know, she thought that she could like have sex with as many people as she wanted to, and she didn't want feelings to be involved. And her idea of how she could do that safely was to get into porn, because then she knew she'd be protected. (laughs) So I I, I guess it's a similar idea, but like in a twisted way way because obviously like then everyone ended up watching her um, do it on screen but I, I mean I guess she got her experiences if that's what she wanted
0: yeah yeah it's a you know it's a kind of old idea of you know do you how much of your dreams do you want to come true if you get your fantasies and dreams to come true you usually find that they're pretty horrible and so I think f- uh, for Sasha Gray she was trying to really uh, probe and see how horrible can her fantasies and streams really you know push her i'm not sure sasha gray really had such a great time in the pornography industry uh i know that she is the first kind of pornography it girl because uh i think she was like the first kind of public figure who was like a porn star but not like uh like a 90s 80s kind of porn star she was like kind of edgy and alternative you know and it's it kind of uh a, a, you know feminist uh kind of post-feminists today like to talk a lot about this icon of like the cool girl you know the cool right. girl is kind of like she's kind of like boyish because she's got like boyish uh values i guess and i think sasha gray is the first kind of <laughs> internet generation icon of that is. Yes,
1: absolutely yeah. no you're right i mean she was like an intellectual porn star right like i yeah, right. i don't know i mean growing up like she was like really famous you know <laughs> like i think i knew who she was from like she was like her she was the peak of her fame when i was like nine and i remember like knowing who she was you know like that's yeah, how she, famous yeah. she was and i grew up in the middle of nowhere so like that's that says something i
0: don't and know she was and pornography was so tightly intertwined with the video game industry and like the tech industry you know sasha gray was on all the tech uh, tech geek stuff and, it was like icon and video games too you know there was a american channel called g4 which is kind of this bizarre mix of uh video games and technology and pornography that uh I think, uh, really laid the groundwork for a lot of our current culture today. (laughs)
1: Interesting. I didn't know about that, actually, because, I mean, to me, Sasha Gray was like the, yeah, like the it girl porn star, right? But like it girl in a sense that she was like, I don't know, she was like in Vice magazine and like Penthouse and whatever. And she was like, you know, she was like uh, in an American apparel campaign and stuff. Like I, which I don't know, like I, in a way, her, career arc has been kind of disappointing because now she's like, what, a Twitch streamer? (laughs) And for a while there, she like wrote books and like took photographs and, you know, did kind of like artsy and cool stuff. And she could have been like people, I mean- Like, even if you just read through her Wikipedia article, people were, like, calling her, you know, like, um, like, a new kind of, like, the 21st century kind of artist, like, um, encompassing, like, all all these, like, different mediums and stuff and how she was going to do all this, like, cool stuff. And now she just, like, has a YouTube channel and, like, talks to nerds. But I guess if you look at it from that angle of, like, her being a thing in the gaming community, then it makes sense because that was probably ultimately her fan base. (laughs) Despite sure. like, her cool elements.
0: No, I mean her becoming a Twitch streamer is uh, a perfect representation of how disappointing a lot of the promises of the tech industry <laughs> and the alternative culture was. You know, uh, the novel I was thinking of is *Fear of Flying*. By the way, by Erica Young. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Nineteen
1: seventy-three.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's the first real kind of feminist classics about uh, not having fun, while well, having sex. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and so you could contrast that with the uh, very well.
1: Yeah, was
0: <laughs> also an it girl in a very different way.
1: <laughs> I mean, she. I mean, she still is to like a certain like online demographic. She still totally is.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I love her. I think she's really bizarre. <laughs> I've actually never seen any of her pornography. <laughs> I, I appreciate her as a cultural, I, as an Italian political icon <laughs> as much as I do for her artistic work. <laughs>
1: what do you think of, um, what do you think of Meet in Heaven?
0: <laughs> I think that's most, one of the things I wanted to talk about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The most brilliant thing about it, first of all, is that it's, it's kind of a ripoff.
1: <laughs> I mean, that's Jeff Koons in general, you know.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I think like it's a ripoff, first of all, which is really brilliant because you know, pornography is also kind of a ripoff. You know, it's the same thing over and over and over again. And he, he nailed it, you know. And there's no variation in what he does. And when you combine that with pornography, you get something very close to the heart of the matter. Because, it's you know, it's just the same fantasy over and over again. I think literally what he did is he just took uh, porn of the Chicholina and just put his face on the bodies <laughs> that's the that's the impression that you get i mean it's like because it's bizarre it's grainy and um, it kind of like it, it looks like like it was just kind of taken candidly you know it actually looks like the terry richardson from the american apparel it kind of already looks like american apparel photo shoots too the same kind of like <laughs> zoomed in kind of grainy uh kind of uh it looks like it's a mistake. It looks like you kind of downloaded off of someone's phone kind of illicitly. <laughs>
1: Right. I mean, but that's that's how pornography should look like. Right. I mean, that's how exactly you, that's what you think of when you envision pornography. At least that's what I think of. Right. Like, I mean, I know all porn is like 4K, like HD, like super close ups and whatever now. But like still, I think like the artistic sort of element to pornography was the graininess and like the, you know, the the bad video quality element of it. And yeah. that and Sasha Grey really was like the last to like bring it back to her again. It was she really was like the last porn star who kind of had that as well, right? Like some of the videos of her are like shot in like like weird angles, like weird camera quality, like weird everything. Very like early two yeah. thousands.
0: Cause you know, it goes back to what we said about ethical versus unethical. When you see the grain, when you see the weird camera angles, uh, you know. When they don't look like they're having a lot of fun, that, that's what gives it that dangerous element. That's what makes it feel unethical. It's like, wow, you know, I'm looking yeah. at something that I'm not supposed to see.
1: Yeah, exactly. It makes it seem like grimy. And I mean, Made in Heaven definitely has that element to it as well. But I think what's really funny about it as well is that they like ended up like falling in love and getting married and having a child as well. Right. So it's like you're looking at like pornographic images, but you're also kind of looking at two people in love or supposedly in love or supposedly falling in love. Right. So there's this like, um, like the contextual, the context of those images makes them appear even more interesting. And I mean, famously, like during their divorce proceedings, he like destroyed most of the images. So like barely any out, barely any of them are like out there now.
0: I mean, you know, made in heaven. It's a match made in heaven. Chichilina is an artist in the same way that Jeff Koons is an artist. Yeah, <laughs> just, I, think, <laughs> I think Chichilina is a little bit better at it than Jeff Koons, but I, I think their aesthetic is, is very similar. Kind of repetitious, kind of cliches, you know, and a kind of like uh, like unwillingness to really think of things as Sacred, you know. Uh, a, a great picture book of Chichilina is one where she like strips in front of a statue of Lenin. <laughs> yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, <laughs> and you know, I mean, Jeff Coons must have seen that and like you know damn, why didn't i think of that that's
1: brilliant <laughs> <laughs> i mean he definitely did it's really funny i don't know if you had a chance to like watch that clip that i sent you it's from like yeah, a, like a weird like swedish i think it's swedish <laughs> like i um, think so, yeah. TV, like they were like interviewing jeff coons as he's like preparing to make the made in heaven images and he's like <laughs> talking about how like you know chichelina is like his um first of all that she's like an eternal virgin and like the interviewer like keeps on like <laughs> asking the same question over and over again and she's like is, are you are you fucking with me is that what you mean and he's like yeah I, I think we're you know I think we're all eternal virgins I think she's an eternal she, I think she's eternally pure and then he's also like um, you know she's my desire she's always been my one and only desire and if people focus on their desires they can achieve what they want and i <laughs> thought it was just like a very like sort of american you know um like 80s 90s sort of like capitalist outlook i thought it was funny and also like there's also a point where he's like you know i think like he's like elona and i are very similar she uh she escaped her like hungarian past and i escaped the american middle class <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, it's a real, you know, it's where you can't really differentiate cliches from reality anymore. <laughs> right
1: But that's one that's when uh I mean, I don't, you know, just FYI, I don't think porn is ever good, but that's when porn is good, when there are a lot of cliches involved, right? Like the whole like pizza guy whatever thing. That's how we all like, I think that's still sort of like the idea of porn that people have, right? majority of people are not like complete coomers and like addicted to watching that stuff
0: all the time. Well, that's when it gets dangerous when you you get tired of cliches. That's what happens Mm -hmm. to coomers. They get tired of cliches because they start to think of it as ingenuine and they start to look for the genuine in pornography. And I think this is where you start to end up in really terrible uh, territory because people do some really horrible things to get in touch with what they believe is genuine, you know.
1: Right. I think you're right. Yeah, totally. And I mean, I think that's also when you end up like, you know, paying OnlyFans models because you think that's like a more general, whatever, like a more genuine um, human connection. I think that's when it gets really fucked up. Let alone like Um,
0: snuff films or whatever. That's like a whole other level. You know, we talk about uh, Sasha Gray in the 90s and 2000s and how popular she was. But uh, on the other hand also very popular during that time was like kind of like, you know, the Soviet States had fallen and the economy Mm. was really bad during these times. So uh, a lot of girls from those Soviet uh, countries were forced into pornography. And this stuff was actually extremely popular, Uh, you know, so much that like (laughs) now today, like you kind of have this like fetishized idea of like, you know, like, the Russian woman or the Ukrainian woman, she's like she's iconic now, and it's it's pretty much purely because of pornography. I mean, you don't see a lot of Ukrainian like beauties and like Hollywood movies or anything, you know. Tchaikolina you know, is kind of like the the progenitor of this. Jeff Koons even says that she escaped her Hungarian past. Tchaikolina <laughs> <laughs> doesn't look Italian, she's like she's got like a really sharp nose and like small eyes, and she's like. Kind of like, you know, she's not full-bodied like the Italian girls are. And that's why the Italians really liked her. She was, like, exotic to Italians. Right.
1: <laughs> no, yeah, think, you, you're right. I haven't thought about it that way, but you're right. That's true. Yeah. yeah.
0: And, I, and I think people really loved this. I mean, made it was made under really horrible, pretty much, like, conditions of rape and prostitution. But I think a lot of people really enjoyed this kind of uh, illicit pornography because they felt like it was genuine. They were tired of the kind of cliches of pornography and the cliches of Hollywood. And they were like, well, I just want something that's real. And it turns out that people's appetites when they uh, search for the genuine, when they search for the real, it beca- it can become pretty cruel can become pretty brutal and you know i know i mentioned him a lot but you know that's that's what my magazine's about but but yeah. also talks about this he talks about seeing uh, a torture victim in uh, imperial china this guy who was kind of getting uh like dismembered piece by piece and everyone who was watching it was kind of like enthralled they were in ecstasy they were like seeing this person in a lot of pain but they were also like oddly pleased with it, like it was a great expression of kind of genuineness, it was genuine pain. And he wrote about this. He was like, this kind of genuine pain is a kind of experience that you seldom get in life. uh, Unfortunately, I think pornography has taken this role in our society. It's a source of this kind of genuine sublime expression that we're maybe not able to get in other parts of our life.
1: Right. but it's so real that it's hyper real right it's it's it no longer feels like reality because of how like anatomical and specific it is right yeah. like like the four k quality and like the close ups and you know like all of that that makes it seem more real than reality itself
0: which yeah, is i mean
1: a, a scary thought. <laughs>
0: It's like watching someone get dismembered. It doesn't look real either. That's also a hyper-real thing to right. watch. I mean, you know, <laughs> Sasha Gray, I think of her more as an athlete than an artist, you know. Things that she's capable of doing with her body. And, and you know, she really pushes it to the extreme. And people really look for the extreme. You know, they pay actresses for uh, doing extremes. And the more extreme things they do, the more they get paid for it. You kind of uh, set me some names. One of them was uh, Lana Rhodes. There's a very kind of... It was a very popular uh, YouTube interview where Lana Rhodes talks about having to drink piss and throwing it up and then drinking the throw up back up again, you know. You kind of have to think, you have to be like, is that really, you know, that that doesn't seem like a very sexual (laughs) expression. I think that kind of pushes it beyond. At that point, it's like, that's something more.
1: Well it's that's a humiliation ritual, right? It's like to see how far somebody's willing to take it for money. To like see yeah, that, how far someone is willing to hum- humiliate themselves for, for the sake of like yeah, attention and fame and like capital gain.
0: For sure. I think that's the upper brain, but I think on an even kind of lower level, I think there is a certain kind of like your body gets a kind of thrill from seeing someone in that kind of extreme condition. Before I even think about the emulation, it's just like, wow, this is, you know, like you're, you know, I guess kind of like an anxiety attack, really. Your body kind of goes through the same kind of physical experience as an anxiety attack. Well, you know, your heart starts racing, your pupils dilate, and, you know, your body is like, you're pushing your own body to the limit just by watching other people push their bodies to the limit.
1: Right. But at the end of the day, you're still the passive observer. You're not taking part in it, which I think is like, I mean, that's a whole thing with um, like the internet, right? It's like the internet mac- makes you a passive observer observer of your own life. Like you're not really participating in it. You're like, you know, you're, you're just watching it unfold. Like you're, you, yeah. you might be, you know, you might be curating it. You might be like presenting it in a certain way, but ultimately the internet is like about, it's pornographic in a sense that it's not like it's not real.
0: <laughs> yeah. There is there's a climax but there's no payoff. <laughs> you're not right. accomplishing anything. And it's very yeah, frustrating.
1: Not, yeah, exactly. You're not accomplishing anything and you're also like not actually living it like you're not actually like yeah you might be you know because there's this whole angle to like the whole like pornography discourse as well where it's like you know well at least when people are watching it you know they're not doing it in real life at least when people are like you know people talk about this a lot with like child pornography or whatever like those like creepy like child like dolls and stuff and it's like oh you know like if you if we give out sex dolls like that to like pedophiles and stuff then they won't rape real children but it's like how the fuck does that make it better you know
0: (laughs) Like yeah, how, yeah.
1: how does that solve anything? <laughs> but I think it's it's interesting, though, because I think there's a lot... Because um, I don't know if you had a chance to, like, watch The, the Girlfriend Experience, the Sasha Gray P- um, Soderbergh movie, um, but...
0: Uh, I've seen it a long time ago. Yeah, I remember parts of it.
1: Yeah, I saw it as well when it, like, first came out, and then I, like, rewatched it for this episode, but it, there's also a TV show that he made, like, based around the same um, idea, theme, whatever. But I... Because at some point, like, escorting and, like, sugar babies and stuff were, like, a really big part of the sex work discourse. You know, like, the whole, like, like young girls going to college and, like, basically prostituting themselves for, like, textbooks. <laughs> like, that yeah, whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> it was, yeah. like, a huge thing, like like, four or five years ago. And, like, I think, in a way, the way that rich people, rich men of relying escorts for like the girlfriend experience is the same way that like I guess in a way the internet especially like the porn aspect of the internet is sort of like a rich person simulator in a a way (laughs) because it's like you know you get to experience like the 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 ultra rich businessman thing of like paying someone to satisfy your sexual like horrendous you know like horrid like sexual desires without actually like having the money to pay someone to do it if that makes sense
0: yeah 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 that's the american dream <laughs> yeah. beyond your means yeah
1: yeah 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 exactly it's like yeah and and so you don't you, you know you, you get an aspect of it you get like the whole like you know you click a button and you have all of your like desires satisfied but you don't really <laughs> and it's still horrible either way but it's like you get an you, you get a taste
0: of it yeah yeah so i i think the the inability to really satisfy these desires is what pushes a lot of kind of anger (laughs) on the internet. That's the most interesting thing is just how angry people are on the internet, even for stuff that is, you know, supposed to be about happy things. You know, people get very angry about pornography in particular, you know, the Lana Rhodes, uh, YouTube video, where she talks about the horrible stuff that she had to do in the industry. The most interesting thing for me is in the comments where like men are really angry at her for talking about this stuff because it kind of feels like uh you know like it's like casting aspersions on their lack of satisfaction and i think a lot of that lack of satisfaction comes from the fact that pornography is not really satisfying if pornography was satisfying they would have just made like A few, and that would have satisfied everybody. (laughs) I think it's made people less satisfied, actually. It's driven an urge.
1: Well, I mean, I think it's supposed to be aspirational, right? I mean, I I guess the goal, at least I think the people who participate in pornographies and like in the making of pornography, the way that they see themselves is kind of like aspirational role models in a way, right? It's like, oh, you know, you you also can go out there and you can do these things and you can like experience these, whatever. Um, They kind of see themselves in a lot of ways, like miracle workers, right? Because it's like, oh, you know, we're satisfying these people's desires or like encouraging them to satisfy their desires. But it's like in reality, like the majority of people who watch that stuff are not going to go out there and do that. And I think that's kind of the difference between like something like, I think it's a different between erotica and pornography because I think erotica ultimately is aspirational in a way that it does like, lead to people doing more stuff You know, like, even, like, something, even something as primitive, like, as, like, Fifty Shades of Grey, right? Like, (laughs) I think there are, like, a billion articles on the internet about, like, middle-aged women who, you know, read Fifty Shades of Grey and then, like, bought um, a whip or something. And, like, you know, (laughs) (laughs) like, (laughs) reinvigorated their sex life by doing that, you know? It's yeah, like yeah. it inspired some like real life action <laughs> because there was like a lot left unsaid while this pornography doesn't leave anything unsaid. And so there
0: is no. Yeah. That's kind of the concept of seduction that Baudrillard was talking about in the, the book that you sent me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately pornography has become such a reductive uh, term. As you can see from that, the guy on Twitter was talking about Venus de Milo pornography. And, you know, there's there's definitely kind of um, an aesthetic difference between like Fifty Shades of Grey, which is you know it, it definitely has the same uh, the point as pornography. It's to kind of satisfy like bored middle-aged women. I mean that's that's not a generalization. I think that's generally the demographic that they wanted for that book. And like yeah. something like violent pornography made in Russia, which is definitely not for aspirational qualities but in in our imagination, we kind of put them in the same box because the best way we can articulate sex in any kind of aesthetic way is just in terms of pornography. You know, so uh, if something expresses anything relating to sex, then it's dangerously close to pornography, which means that anything from like a French movie, which is a little bit too much (laughs) interested in only sex, and like torture porn are the same aesthetic category.
1: We're right because we think of things in images, ultimately, and pornography is based on images. I mean, it's yeah, yeah, basically images. It's funny that you said um, a French movie that's a little too interested in, in sex because I um, I watched The Anatomy of Health recently, <laughs> and um, like the Catherine uh, Briart movie. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's...
0: Yeah, yeah. I know, of it.
1: but. Well, it's basically it's about a woman who like um goes to like a gay club and then she um basically she like cuts herself and gets the attention of this gay guy and she's like oh you know like i'll pay you for you to observe me naked um so we can figure out why you're gay <laughs> so yeah, it was yeah. like the bottom line of the movie and um it's about like i, I guess in a, in a way it's about the female body is like an object and as an image and the way that that is um interpreted but like the male brain or just by you know our perception in general
0: i i I also think it's a it's a societal kind of change that has happened as we went from erotica to pornography you know Um, i mean this is going to sound kind of ridiculous but uh adorno (laughs) also wrote about this Describing how art went from kind of borrowing from Walter Benjamin, kind of the aura, as in like you're experiencing a work of art in person, to kind of these manufactured images that are constantly repeated. And I think that pornography is erotica when you start to kind of turn it into mass production, you know. Because erotica, it's kind of like something personal. And like, there's a social aspect to it, for sure. Like the Greeks and the Romans famously, you know, for them, sex was a public thing sex is not something you do in private but then as our kind of society becomes more and more about private things and you know every person is their own person and social atomization i think that's where pornography really starts to develop because now every single person has their own kind of set of disposable images and you know pornography is is a huge business i think it's one of the biggest businesses actually around the world i mean you know everything from <laughs> The hidden pornography industry in Los Angeles, which is like the biggest, bigger than Hollywood, probably, to like, you know, every single like girl in like the iron, like former Soviet Union that has like an OnlyFans that they're supporting themselves with. You know, every single person is kind of becoming an industrial kind of producer of pornography. And I think it's only possible with pornography, this kind of uh, obsession with images, as you describe it, versus erotica.
1: Right, which erotica, I mean, erotica relies on your imagination, right? It relies on your own, in your ability to produce your own images in your own head. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, when we read, we're still thinking of what we read in terms of images, right? But the images that we produce while reading are dependent on our own imagination and our own, like, cultural, um, whatever, aesthetic vision. While okay. pornography provides the images for you, so there is no imagination involved and when there's no imagining imagination involved in anything sexual that's when ultimately becomes pornographic in like the worst sense of the word.
0: Yeah, and not and not sexual because sex is ultimately very much about your imagination. And pornography yeah, isn't it, about the imagination, you.
1: Yeah, and I mean sex is also about the feeling, right? <laughs> and pornography ultimately has nothing to do with like feelings.
0: Yeah, I think feeling kind of requires a certain creativity and a certain imagination that um, I think is kind of becoming a lost art. I think people become a little bit angry when they can't articulate their uh, creative urges as much in terms of romance and sexuality. You know, Like a very big uh, genre kind of listicles and articles uh, how do you express your desires? How do you express your emotions? You know, it, it kind of sounds strange because I think of it as such a uh, inherent human trait. A lot of people have actually huge problems with expressing themselves and like expressing their desires because they simply don't have creative drives. They they have no creative uh, ability, basically. And that's that's right. another thing that, yeah. Sorry, go but on. I think
1: no no no, I was just gonna say, but I think that's where erotica used to come in, right? Because I mean the whole thing about like like a a lot of the erotica that was written in like the early 20th century, like beat an ice or like um I mean, the majority of like female erotica writers, um, the only reason they wrote it was because they were rich clients who paid them to write it, right? like yeah. you know like rich industrialists who didn't have their own imagination so they yeah, yeah. And, like, create the visions for them while now instead of now we're not even borrowing other people's imagination or creative abilities now we're just like straight up stealing their images
0: yeah yeah I kind of like constantly repeating the same form over and over again pretty much you know like uh once you get down to like the most popular form of pornography, which is like amateur pornography, then you just completely strip away even the pretense. It's just purely about the mechanics, you know? And I think that's why, I mean, I've heard people in my own life complain about how men have pornography, right? <laughs> even in like personal relationships, can't think about it in any way except mechanics. <laughs> and that has, I think, resulted in very kind of uh, very deficient personal relationships for everybody unfortunately
1: right but I think that kind of comes down to I mean Baudrillard talks about that in seduction like the fact that Mm -hmm. now there's this focus on like the sort of like the climax the orgasm is as the point of sex rather than the process that you know Pre, like pre, that is the prelude to sex right because before that like this the, the seduction process is about what leads to sex rather than sex itself or like the end point of sex well it's like the, this whole thing about how like you know because the, the whole conversation about like women only having bad sex is all about how they don't orgasm from it right like that that's that's the conversation we're having constantly now and it's right. like but that that again is like focused on the mechanics of it rather than like Everything that precedes that,
0: yeah, it's a it's, uh, very results-driven. You know, <laughs> how do you know it's uh, sex is working? Well, because people orgasm from it. Well, how many orgasms are there per hour? Well, this many should be the proper amount. It's, uh, <laughs> it's quite a very kind of results-driven uh, society. And uh, again, you know, because I'm your pretentious guest, uh, Theodore Adorno also talks about this in uh, his research that he did with music, where people wanted to measure people you know, how much did they enjoy music? And he was angry, about he was furious. He was saying, how can you measure people enjoying music? Well, what ends up happening is that you pick one thing and then everything else stops being important. So in terms of sexuality, that's also what happens. You measure orgasms, which is the easiest thing to measure. And then society becomes inevitably more focused on the orgasm, even though that might be the most uh, <laughs> uh, unsatisfying part of it.
1: Right, yeah, because, I mean, right, like, they're, the, like, I mean, it's so funny as well, because a lot of these articles also talks, talk about, like, foreplay as, like, a necessary part of it, right? It's like, oh, like, you know, like, I mean, I mean I'm mean, i talking about, like, female-centered articles that are like, oh, you know, does he go down on you? And it's like, but then, ultimately, it is about, like, you know, does he make you come? And if he doesn't make you come, then you should dump him. <laughs> like that's kind of, that's, that's the conversation, ultimately, so sad
0: <laughs> yeah i i think that's uh that's something feminists are gonna have to work out amongst themselves you know they've had a whole bunch of fights over the past 50 years and hopefully they can come to a conclusion on that it's, it's interesting that you know like 30 40 years ago feminists were unanimously like against porn and like their whole thing for them was like we need to build a new female culture <laughs> you know we need to be like political lesbians like we don't even need to see men and it's interesting that they kind of rebounded super hard to like the 2000s where sasha gray is a feminist because she cares so much about pleasing men i think that's a very kind of interesting turn <laughs>
1: That was, but at least that's a cool turn, right? Like that's a that's a that's a that's a turn in feminism that you actually want to talk about. I think the most boring turn in all of that is like the twenty ten sex positivity, you know, um, <laughs> like OnlyFans, whatever sex toys kind of feminism. I think that's. I mean, Sasha Grey is like an interesting aspect of it. Like you, you want to look at her, you want to you want to hear what she has to say. But like when it comes to someone like can't even think of a specific person but like you know jezebel kind of feminism i think that's when it gets really bad
0: yeah i you know i mean just not even talking about the really broken uh, horrible economics of only fans i think that um, once you turn like even these things into, like i don't know technical matters i mean people talk about only fans in very technical ways it's like you know how much is every single woman worth on only fans and Feminism becomes then about maximizing your value and maximizing your worth. You know, beyond just the moral things, I think a lot of people are also going to see that it's kind of aesthetically like, like empty. It's kind of void, and it doesn't have the kind of play with uh, cliches in the way that Jeff Koons or Ticholina would do it. You know, <laughs> I mean, Tschicholdina right. would dress Chichalina would dress up like a nun and go into a church, and then like. Get like sodomized, and you think like, well, that's that's a very clever way <laughs> on societal norms. While OnlyFans is, it's much more about like maximizing profit, maximizing value. OnlyFans is really, I think, analogous to NFTs. I think, you know, someone really like smarter than me needs to find the the link between NFTs and OnlyFans because I definitely think it's.
1: I mean, of course, yeah, because it turns pornography into content, which I guess it always was to a certain extent. But ultimately, kind of the internet is all about commodifying human experiences, right? like we yeah, sure. turn human experiences into content and content is a commodity so therefore we have commodified every aspect of our lives but i think only specifically because it's not just about the production of pornographic images it's also about like the interaction that goes into like a sexual relationship right from what from under from what i understand of how the platform works it's about it's kind of more similar to like like cam sites than it is to like something like Pornhub where you just go on it and you search what you want and you get what you want because it's like you get, you, you get to have a relationship with a creator that you're supporting. Yeah. So therefore it's yeah. like a more sort of parasocial kind of bond rather than just like observing somebody, you know, getting like
0: sodomized on whatever website you prefer. And, and NFTs are like that too. NFTs are also very parasocial.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. 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 And I no. think the this this kind of change in the internet is uh, I think what happened to Sasha Grey because Sasha Grey came into it. She was like the internet is about you know getting liberated and like we're not thinking about commodities. We're just talking about like empowering yourself through pushing yourself to the extreme. And then what happened is is that she became <laughs> yeah <I think laughs> the same way. I think in the same way the internet kind of uh, disappointed us. With, the, with its promises, because the promise, especially with regards to sex, was that the Internet was going to liberate sex from things like, you know, personal identity and like social class. But instead, what, what has happened, I think, is that it's become a, a tool to actually like commodify these things, you know, like personal identity gets commodified on OnlyFans a lot like, <laughs> you know, like... Uh, like, everyone has their own personal niches. Like, if you're this kind of person or that kind of person, you'll get money just for advertising yourself that way.
1: Right, because porn is also very sort of category based right like it's about like different kinks and like different fetishes and stuff and so there's oh, like yeah. a niche for, there's like a niche for whatever you know whatever body type you have whatever you know whatever your hair color whatever your race like there's definitely a niche for you that wants exactly you to like you know cannibalize so
0: it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah.
1: so you can always find your audience with porn
0: yeah i mean it's built into the technology right i mean how does the technology work you search the particular stuffs that you want, you know? What is your niche? You have to type your niche into it. So of course the rest of the world is gonna to start to adapt to what the search engine is giving you. And so pornography as all things is not immune to kind of the category uh, fixation that our kind of uh, tech-obsessed society falls into. And I think it's also counter to seduction because seduction is also very much about an inability to place things into categories because when you're seduced by something what sticks in your mind is how it's how difficult it is to categorize it you know when someone is exciting and seducing you you think like oh you know this person i can't really describe this person it's so difficult to describe these emotions that they're giving me and pornography right. is very much the opposite yeah
1: i mean seduction is all about like not being able to resist something. Right. And I think a big aspect of like something being irresistible or like, you know, being seduced by something is that you can't really, you know, yeah, you can't categorize it, but also even if you can categorize it, the first thing you think is that, oh, that's, you know, that's not something I would usually be, um, so excited by. Right. It's like that, that thing where it's like, oh, you know, that's, you know, I don't know, they're not my type. This is not what I usually go for. Like this is very atypical of me or whatever. While while it's
0: with
1: but while well, it's with like yeah porn and like the, the the different categories that it includes it's all about finding exactly that specific super niche thing that you know that you could potentially yeah yeah it has nothing to do with seduction has nothing to do with being ultimately porn has nothing to do with being turned on <laughs> like like you think it turns you on but it doesn't actually turn you on at all
0: i think you get turned on first and then you you resort to pornography as a tool to, to manage that <laughs> experience and those emotions. Emotions that you have, I think a lot of people use it that way. That's that's the only way I can describe people hating themselves for consuming as much pornography as they do. They get obsessed with the urge, and then they consume the pornography, and then they feel really bad for it. <laughs> well, yeah,
1: it's a very chi- it's a very childish thing, right? <laughs> Right. pornography is very childish in a way it's so funny like <laughs> i was talking to, to my boyfriend about this the other day and he said this thing he was like you know but i mean porn is for children and i was like wait what <laughs> but it is in a way right like it's for people who are not mature enough to like have adult relationships and adult you know responsibilities and adult conversations that come with those relationships and those responsibilities
0: i mean i, I think it's more severe than that i think it's people who who are incapable of these things people who like they weren't inculturated they didn't have the right social experiences and they end up basically incapable of having like proper like social relationships with people and this can take a lot of different forms it can be something as extreme as incel you know Mm -hmm. incels have self-organized and you know they define themselves by their inability to have regular, normal, healthy relationships of any kind. But it can also be things like uh, people who see any kind of relationship, sexual or otherwise, as a kind of opportunity to gain something or to earn something, you know. People who who see, like, uh, sexuality and, like, social contact as uh, opportunities for monetization. I think this is another type of kind of inability to uh, have regular, normal uh, sexual interactions. I think it's a different, but also similar kind of uh, uh, issue.
1: Right, it's like those girls who like text people on Tinder, like subscribe to my OnlyFans.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, it's like that thing, but it's also, but it's also like you know the the super busy businessman who doesn't have time to have a relationship, so he resorts to paying escorts for the quote unquote girlfriend experience. I think it's the same sort of level of um, being a loser ultimately in a way
0: (laughs) well you know I'm trying not to be as judgy because I'm like you know I'm trying to be a scientist about it but that's that's okay you can judge
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah I can be the judgmental one no I think I think it's ultimately loser behavior anything that has to do with like I mean again I can't in a way I can't blame quote unquote sex workers for participating in it. I mean, I can blame some sex workers. I blame like middle class girls who you know um, go into sex work because they don't because they don't think getting married is feminist enough and they don't want to have a job. so they're like okay well, I'm gonna sell pictures of myself on the internet. Like I do judge that, but I don't judge someone who's like put in a position where ultimately they kind of sure there's always a choice, but ultimately sex work is the most you know reasonable choice that they have. Like, I don't blame people like that, but I do blame people who think it's cool and edgy because there hasn't been anything cool and edgy about it for a really long time since Sasha oh, Gray. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, society has always needed prostitutes, at least. So, I, you know, I'm, I'm always very skeptical about how cool it is. But uh, I also, I also think it speaks to a society where, like, the only avenues and kind of ways you can express these things are through prostitution and through like these weird kind of sugar baby relationships, you know, like, like in our society, we don't have other ways of finding money or other ways of kind of uh, expressing or being creative with our sexual drives and impulses. I think it speaks to a kind of very uh, sad and atrophied society where these are kind of the only uh, avenues of expression that we have, you know,
1: Right. It's like the whole thing with Sasha Gray being like, oh, you know, I thought porn was missing the creative aspect. But it's also like, I don't know if you saw that uh, post. I was going around a couple of months ago. It was this tweet tweet by this woman who was like, you know, um, the one thing I always tell young women in the beginning of their careers is that they should do sex work. Um, (laughs) It was by like some like media opinion provider, writer, journalist type person. And she was like, yeah, like I always tell girls, you know, do sex work. But it's like, I think when we start looking at sex work as quote unquote work is where it gets really complicated and weird, right? Because I mean, sure, it's work, but also how is that a good thing? But also like- How, you know, like the more people get into sex work, the less meaningful sex work becomes. So the less money people who actually need to do sex work to survive are going to get from it. So therefore, like your little rebellion phase is just plain stupid.
0: Yeah, I I mean, when I first, you know, I'm not from uh, America and uh, I don't live in New York City so <laughs>
1: Wait, where do you uh, live well, you live in berlin right
0: right now i live in berlin but before that i used to live in uh, los angeles in california but uh, i'm not i'm not born in america but um, where are you from uh i was born in the netherlands
1: oh cool cool
0: yeah and my parents are like uh russian kind of far eastern russian uh There's a whole history there, but uh, what I mean to say with that is that when I first started encountering these kind of conversations, I was really confused because I was like, (laughs) you know, prostitution is what you turn to when you're like hungry and you have like, like you're starving and like you might die. So you need to prostitute yourself to survive because that's what people were doing after the Soviet Union fell. Like women as young, you know, like kids were prostituting themselves because they they couldn't feed themselves and they needed shelter and protection. So it was really strange, like, seeing people from New York City now talk about, like, like they call it sex work, and they, like, for them, it's a very big deal that it has, like, this kind of emancipatory political uh, nature to it. And uh, looking at it, I, I just, I don't see how, like, where it comes from. Maybe you have some insight into it, but to me, it seems like, first of all, that it's it's just really going to fail because at the end of the day, the people that buy you have more money and more power than you ever will have.
1: Right. Well, I mean, I mean, I'm also from, I'm from the Baltics. I'm from Estonia. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It's not like I have that much more insight. No, but I mean, I I do have more insight. I like went to an American, to American schools and stuff, but I think it ultimately comes from like that whole thing where it's like, you know, if, if you're gonna get fucked, you might as well get paid for it, you know, like that whole like
0: feminist yeah, 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 yeah.
1: moto statement, whatever that thing is where it's like, you know, like you're you know, sex is gonna suck anyway, so you might as well get paid for it. Like, you know, you're gonna have to date people, you're gonna have to have relationships anyway, so you might as well get paid for it. It's like that thing where it's like where, as you said, it's it's like that loser mentality. or I called it loser mentality, but you, you know, that whole thing where it's like, um, you know, where you start seeing all relationships as something that can provide you with, you know, monetary gain or like value. Like you start like to commodify every single interaction you have, and you just think of what you can gain from it instead of like, you know, how it makes you feel or whatever other stupid thing, right? Yeah. So it's yeah. like it's about I, and also it's about. I think it's kind of a very defeatist sort of attitude where it's like, you know, well, I'm a woman and I'm, you know, discriminated against by the system anyway, so I might as well, you know, um, give them what they want or whatever. I I think that's kind of the thinking behind it.
0: Yeah. I mean, I would think it's just sad that, you know, the most powerful expression of femininity in our culture would be things like this, you know, just how much money, potential can it earn from you? Because even when not just talking about the moral side of it, it is also just kind of very boring and kind of aesthetically kind of, you know, empty, you know, because at the end of the day, what you're doing is you're just kind of satisfying the whims of someone who's got more money and got more power for you. You ultimately don't really have any kind of room to be creative. There's ultimately no place where you can express your own, kind of creative energies. So I think, you know, a society that gives this for women as their, like, choice to kind of express this kind of, uh, I don't know, creative sexual side of them, I think that's a very sad kind of society. And I don't view it necessarily as uh, empowering.
1: No, I don't view it as empowering either. I I think people have tried to turn it into something empowering. But I think ultimately, I think it's... I think sex work or especially because sex work is like this umbrella term that encompasses everything from like full on, you know, prostitution, like standing on the side of the road kind of prostitution to like, you know, selling like feet, uh, you know, whatever pictures of your feet on OnlyFans or whatever, whatever (laughs) else people do. Like it's like a very, you know, it's a very broad term, but I think ultimately what it speaks of or what it implies is that women are trying to come to terms with their own passivity right like i think that's what we're trying to do that ultimately like no matter how hard you try you're you're never going to be a man (laughs) and i think i think there's power in that admission and realization but i think i i do think that it's a really fucked up way of going around it again i don't judge i don't judge people who are like for whom this is like the only choice they have but also Let's be real. I mean, no one on Twitter is doing it because they need to.
0: Yeah, I mean, they don't need to do it, but also (laughs) they just don't have the creativity to (laughs) think of other things to do, I guess. I guess that's what I'm kind of lamenting, you know? And with the loss of, uh, yeah, with the loss of kind of creative uh, sexual culture because of the internet and its, you know, obsession with pornography, I mean, because pornography is so profitable, it's just inevitable that it's going to dominate everything. I think, you know, they have other choices, but we can't think of any.
1: But I think also it has something to do with the fact that pornography used to be kind of creative, right? I mean, it used to be a sort of subversive kind of, you know, whatever, um, transgressive choice. Like for people like, um, I don't know, what's her name? Um, she was part of um, the Throb and Gristle. Um,
0: oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: cosy fanny tootie yeah, i think yeah, i think i'm mispronouncing her name yeah um like she used to do porn on the side right like that used to be like a whole aspect of her image her brand whatever yeah, and, yeah she's I mean even to
0: english society yeah.
1: yeah 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 exactly and i mean um you know like even Sasha Gray to a certain extent, like I think there is an element of transgression in in this like sort of, and I mean, you know, um, like the Madonna sex book, obviously that's not (laughs) sex work, but like this sort of like boldness and admitting to your own like sexual desires and your sexuality as a woman, I think there's an element of transgression to it. But ultimately the moment you start selling your um, images on the internet of a way, as, as a way to like, I don't know, pay the rent, then that's when it ends up, you know, That that's when it stops being transgressive and stops, like, and starts being, like, uh, an economic um, necessity and an economic choice.
0: Yeah, I mean, What's transgressive about giving people what they want? (laughs) Well,
1: that's That's another element of it, right? Right, because now that's what they want. That's not even what they want. That's what they expect from you, which is different from when you know when you're when you're somebody like Madonna or when you're somebody like you know (laughs) like a weird avant-garde like noise band. Like people don't want it from you. They they you know (laughs) that's the last thing they're thinking about when they look at you. So like in a way, you giving it to them is is kind of a transgressive choice because it's you, you know, sticking into the man. Like, you know, it's, uh, it's you going against the, whatever societal norms, but like now when everyone is sort of now having an OnlyFans is not even, you know, like, that's the whole thing of like, um, like normalized sex work. Ultimately what it does, it like makes it normal. And the moment it makes it normal, it stops being transgressive and therefore it stops being artistic and creative. It just starts being, you know, sort of as anything else is.
0: And then my counterpoint would be, you know, most people live in a society where it is normal and where it's pretty horrible. (laughs) I mean, you know, like I've lived in countries where prostitution is normalized because every guy gets out of his house when his wife and kids are asleep and goes pick up picks up a prostitute at the side of the road, Uh, that's, that's as normal as it can get, you know, uh, reality is not glamorous. It's not something you're going to want to make a tweet about because it's, it's actually pretty, uh, pretty scary for the women and uh, pretty, uh, pretty low paying work considering what you have to go through. Yeah. I, I mean, this is a different kind of conversation, but I think I think pornography has also given people a very, very uh, skewed uh, look at the world and a very, very false image of where what they consume comes from, you know? I think people who watch pornography on, on Pornhub and stuff that isn't made, you know, boutique, I think they have a very poor understanding of what actually goes into making it. I mean, even going back to Lana Rhodes, Lana Rhodes was describing just how much pain and was actually involved in making these videos and the people who are watching it don't notice that because all they're seeing is just you know the fulfillment of their own kind of pornographic desire
1: right um actually let's take a short break i want to pour myself some more wine sure sure Um, i'll be back in a second Okay, I'm back.
0: I got to microwave my wine, so I can't be that quick. Oh,
1: oh no worries.
0: <laughs> no, I'm good, though.
1: Did you get it? Did, did it stop microwaving? Yeah. <laughs> okay, perfect. Um, What was I going to say? Oh, yeah, the Lana Rhodes stuff. I think it's interesting because, like, Lana Rhodes is, is someone who definitely capitalized of her career in porn right but the way she did it was through like the very the very 2010s feminist way of presenting yourself as a victim right and i'm not saying porn isn't horrible as in like you know the porn industry isn't horrible to women obviously it is but she must have known what she was going into right like she she knew what she was getting into and sure yeah And I mean, I think there's no way to anticipate how horrible something is going to be when you first get into it. And, you know, you can't predict it. But the way that she presents herself now is as someone who, you know, was basically almost destroyed by the porn industry while she is currently living like a very, (laughs) you know, desirable life (laughs) is kind of off-putting to me in a
0: way. Yeah, it's so... another thing that's fascinating i mean it's not entirely related to pornography but this kind of uh, attention economy and the way that you kind of monetize tears it's uh it's it's very shocking development for sure and they do kind of uh, talk about this kind of like uh first you do porn and then you kind of go into the uh anti-porn speaker circuit you can kind of go around the schools and They'll pay you to talk about how bad porn is. I mean, ultimately, the the uh, the drive is the same. The drive for uh, quick and easy cash.
1: <laughs> right. Which, I mean, in, in a way, I guess that's what makes someone like Sasha Gray very admirable in a way, because at least she never talked about how horrible it was.
0: No, I mean, I think, you know, Sasha Gray looks at it really as an athlete, you know, which is, even if it's traumatic <laughs> and painful, it's like, he still accomplished it, you know. No, I really, I really believe that, you know, like, like, like seriously. I mean, <laughs> you have to really prepare to do some of the stuff that she does. I don't think that's that's stuff you could just do, you know, <laughs> right yeah. off the street. No, and you know, that's that's kind of like historically, we've always like enjoyed watching people push their bodies to the limit, you know, like like ancient Greece people liked seeing people do really weird things with their body in Roman times we liked gladiator fights less than 100 years ago we had you know freak shows we had circuses where you would just see you know people with really strange bodies and like things very different from your own and people doing things with their body that you could never do and there was a kind of basic uh, thrill and that, even though it was often pretty horrible for the people that were in the freak show, people that were in the circus, it was pretty terrible conditions for them. And I, and I think there's an interesting uh, kind of uh, analogy to pornography today. It's the same kind of same kind of deal.
1: And, and and you mean that like because people are willing to push themselves so much? So it's like you observing someone um, doing something unnatural.
0: Yeah, I mean. <laughs> like someone pissing and then throwing it up and then drinking the throw up again like there's a humiliation and I also think there's just a really like kind of basic human uh, thrill in seeing someone do something that kind of insane and like pushing their body to the limit you know again the I talks about this limit experiences when you when your body gets pushed to the limit of its comprehension of its kind of the boundaries of its physical abilities you do reach a kind of weird like uh like state of uh, sublime consciousness and maybe uh maybe pornography is that extreme because people are, are searching for those kinds of experiences and they can't really find it anywhere else especially you know now that we're kind of stuck in permanent lockdown till god knows when i mean where are you going to find experiences like these
1: I mean nowhere, but I think also people are not really looking for those experiences at the end of the day. I think people if people were looking for those experiences would have, you know, extreme things happening in real life all the time. In a way that, you know, like there'd be crazier parties and crazier clubs and crazier, you know, like orgies happening in real life. But again, the internet is kind of like, I mean, there are orgies happening in real life, crazy orgies, but they're only for rich people. <laughs> so, like, mm. in a way, I guess that's, again, the, that goes back to my point that, like, the internet is kind of like a rich person simulator because you get to experience all those, like, crazy things, but you get to experience them through, like, a prism of the screen. So, yeah,
0: yeah. Because... I also-
1: like going out of the house is expensive.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And the internet also has this interesting quality of sucking up everything that's not it into back into itself. Kind of everything is internet now, which means that everything has to become a rich person simulator even if that's not really what you want, you know. Like one thing i really enjoy is uh like extreme uh, heavy metal shows where you go there and people are just trying to like break bones by like bashing into each other. I always thought that was a really, uh, really exciting and great experience. And I miss that, you know, I I can see how the internet is now trying to kind of suck up that kind of energy and kind of push it into a different direction, you know?
1: Right. But I mean, the internet is all about sucking up the energy. Like that's what it feeds off. Like that's what the algorithm needs. It like needs your energy and it needs your desires and it needs your your sadness (laughs) to sustain itself.
0: Yeah, and then uh, I think the tension on the other side is that, you know, even if people don't realize it, I think they do have this kind of inner drive for pushing themselves like to the limit to see like where the limit of their experiences are. Religion used to kind of provide this, because religion was also a way of kind of pushing yourself beyond the experiences of your body, you know, and, you know, (laughs) I mean, it sounds kind of ridiculous to connect pornography and religion in this way, but I just mean that (laughs) I think humans have a kind of need for this kind of, uh, uh, these kinds of experiences. And, uh, I'm, I'm very kind of worried that pornography and the, kind of ever increasing pornographization of everything will make people not realize what their needs really are. I guess that's what I'm trying to say
1: right that kind of makes me think of um again going back to like that jeff coons clip um from that swedish tv (laughs) show thing whatever where he's like um he's like um like when asked about made in heaven he's like um, what i'm doing is i'm returning art to the realm of the objective you know at the service of the masses (laughs) and i thought that sounded very sort of you know religious in a way where it's like you know I'm, I'm doing it for the people i'm providing them with the iconography that they need
0: oh yeah that's communion it's, he's literally doing communion right
1: <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> no, exactly but i think there's i think ultimately people don't really understand what the difference is between providing value for the system and providing value for the community i think we sort of you know um i think we, we, we tend to sort of um confuse the two it's really funny um there's this woman on Twitter. I don't know how to pronounce her name. I think it's I I I-, I-, I don't I don't know. Um, oh yeah like yeah yeah. Only, <laughs> uh, yeah. she's like she's like an OnlyFans girl, right? Um, she's like one of like the top creators on OnlyFans, whatever. She used to do you know, she used to do porn. She used to be like a cam girl, whatever. And she, um, uh, tweeted the, the thing, um, the other week that was basically like, you know, I think, uh, I think it's actually quite fair that rich people are rich because what they're doing is they're providing value for their communities. And if you're not providing value, then, um, then you don't deserve to be rich. <laughs> and and, um people like attacked her for it obviously and um and she was like well I don't mean myself like I'm lazy I don't you know I don't create anything but I mean like the really rich people they're 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 you know they're they're servicing their communities and I think they're sort of like I think there's a huge misunderstanding between yeah (laughs) I think people just misunderstand the
0: two well, like Margaret Thatcher said, there is no society. There's only the person. <laughs> There's only the individual. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, most rich people today get rich off of uh, like speculation, financial speculation. And I'm, I'm skeptical to how much value that provides in the community. Um, but yeah, I, I, just, I don't think we're like raised anymore to even think of community. I think that uh, you know, <laughs> right now communism is a very big trend, right? <laughs> yeah, socialism yeah. is a very big trend. I'm, I'm skeptical of how long this trend will last because there's been trends like this before but uh, I, I do think people are very kind of uh, they're very much desiring a kind of uh, return to community. And exp- trying to express this in ways that are not always effective, but uh, you know, I think even Jeff Koons here is kind of, <laughs> kind of describing a desire to return to community because he wants his art. Jeff Koons really does believe in his art, which is you know people think that Jeff Koons is faking it, but you know, he really does believe in his art. But which, he,
1: which makes him such a great fucking con artist.
0: Exactly. Exactly. The con artist who believes in himself is the best con artist, of course. Yeah. But, I I think, and you know, this goes back also to OnlyFans. I think that the way we think of a community is really kind of just like a sentimental idea. I don't think this community really exists anymore. We can try to build it again, but everything from the internet, which is literally a box that you use by yourself, removed from everybody to OnlyFans and pornography, which turns sex into a private thing instead of a public thing to, you know, home office where you you don't have co-workers you're just by yourself in the computer I, I think that people are very very kind of anxiously desiring this kind of community the way that you describe it and they just don't know how to describe it I think and maybe pornography is in a way also a kind of desire for a community just <laughs> expressed. I mean, I really think it is.
1: I think you're right. I think it is because at the end of the day, you know, Pornhub could just be a site that like displays videos, but it has a comment section, right? And it has a comment the fact section, it- yeah, the comment section. yeah and I think the fact that it has a comment section really says a lot about the function of pornography in our society, right? Because it's about, and at the, at the end of the day, you don't just want to watch the porn video. You want to comment on it too. You want to see what other people have commented on it. So yeah. like you want to interact with other people, but around, you know, it's like a whole like, you know how people are like desperate to find other people have the same interests as them. <laughs> and it's so funny that a lot of people like the only interest they really have is porn so like the only the only way they can communicate <laughs> with others is through talking about their interest which is porn which is really sad I don't know but I think in a way but I think in a way watching anonymous you know like weird porn videos on Pornhub is better than supporting um only fans models like <laughs> like I think I think when you're just somebody, you know, when you're just a coomer who's, like, so ashamed of their own desires that the only, you know, like, the only way they interact with pornographic material is through this, like, sort of anonymous um, audience role that's better than when you've come to terms with your, you know... Coomer abilities and you're actually supporting someone in that way like i think that's way worse like you know like the whole like support sex workers subscribe to your phone uh, to your friends only fans like that's just fucking bizarre to me like it's just you know if you're gonna do that if your life is that sad if that's the only option you have then you should be ashamed of it
0: yeah i mean unfortunately like it really does seem like this is the only option a lot of people had I mean just in terms of just not having creativity I guess to think of other things to do you know I mean like I think we really under like under appreciate how much of an industry pornography really is I mean pornography is just it's it, it earns more money I think than any other art for sure except maybe superhero movies just because they sell like toys <laughs> for superhero movies too but you know like what other industry are you going to join, you know? I mean, there's the sex industry, and then there's, like, the tech industry.
1: <laughs> yeah, those are the two that make the most
0: money. <laughs> or, you know, y- you try to start a podcast or something.
1: <laughs> yeah, or, or you become a media person, the worst of them all. Um.
0: <laughs> uh, you know, and... No.
1: I don't know. I think media is also very like just, you know, people who do media for a living, whatever the fucking means, you know? And I mean, you can call podcasts an art form all you want. And I think they are to a certain extent. I think podcasting is an art form, but I think, you know, doing a podcast is an art form, but the moment you release it, it becomes media. And the moment something becomes the same way that like, you know, people who work on magazines and stuff, that's, that's art, right? Like you're putting so much effort into it and there's good writing and there's like, you know, quality photography and stuff. But when you put it out there in the way that it's perceived as a medium, it just becomes like, because it's so intertextual and it can't exist in a vacuum and anything that can exist in a vacuum becomes just part of the media landscape. So like, you know, you can you can be as artistic as you want, but when you make media, you'll never be an artist.
0: Yeah, I mean, media upsets this kind of artistic uh, intention for sure. I mean, with my magazine, for example, I think about, well, to be a successful magazine, what do you actually have to do to be a successful magazine? And actually being successful as a magazine has nothing to do with artistic... Uh, integrity or even getting people to read your magazine that has really nothing to do with it in order to become successful at media you have to game the system you have to pay the right tech companies to advertise your work you got to use the right terms and the right tags or everything and i think yeah you're right as soon as you go into that what you're doing is not really art you're doing a kind of uh you're doing a kind of management <laughs> you're trying right. to manage your uh, your resources and uh you know pornography is much in the same way, the way people make pornography is not really an artistic process. It's more of like a kind of a management process, which is that you know people want to see these niches and we need people to fill these niches. And you just do it as fast as you can, as cheap as you can, and you push it out there. And that's how you earn money.
1: Right, but I, I do think there is an artistic element to it. I think the people performing, right? I mean, at like least some of the people performing, the same way that some of the people who podcast, the same way that some of the people who work on magazines are ultimately artists at, at heart. It's just that the industry itself corrupts you and the industry itself, and like the nature of the medium itself makes you into something that you don't necessarily want to be. But also, what other options do we have, you know?
0: Yeah, doesn't give you an avenue for <laughs> Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I mean, what are you gonna do? Like, <laughs> paint? Right, right, <laughs> I mean, right. I, I guess we could. I don't know. <laughs> I guess we could paint, but
0: yeah, how's I, it better? I had a, I had a friend who uh, wanted to get into painting, and she was like, "I just don't really know, like, like how to start, you know." And I was like, "Well, you just buy like paint, and you like paint like stuff in your room." And then she was like. Like you just paint by painting stuff in your room, but like then what? <laughs> you know, it's kind of like just just doing it isn't good enough, because with the internet it, there has to be a kind of payoff, and you know you have to be able to measure the payoff in orgasms per hour. You have to be able to measure off the payoff, <laughs> or else it's just you know why 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 are you doing it then? You know.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. But I think that's I think I mean I think ultimately. I think being an artist is all about not wanting a result. I think good artists don't really expect a result from their work. And I think that's why ultimately we don't have good art anymore because social media has trained us all to expect a result from everything that we do. Because, you know, we don't trust the process anymore because the process doesn't bring you anywhere. (laughs) So you have to trust the algorithm and the algorithm requires results in orgasms per minute, literally. So like it's screwed up
0: <laughs> that's why pornography really is the most like important art form of our time when I say that to people they always think I'm some kind of strange kuma but it's like no like pornography really does <laughs> paint a very vivid picture of what we value in art what we value in people and what we want to see come out of our society absolutely and sometimes- I mean I don't
1: think Wait, sorry. Go for it.
0: I was just gonna say, sometimes it's ugly, and like sometimes it's you know, it's a touching moment.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, pornography isn't like every single individual video of porn on Pornhub is an art, but pornography as a thing, as a concept, is definitely some sort of artistic statement, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's loaded with artistic. uh, statements it's loaded lot of an aesthetic and but for me it's very interesting that people don't really think about this porn like they don't think about it aesthetically ever it kind of like takes a background kind of thing it's kind of like you know like for example the story in a like porn movie isn't supposed to be taken seriously and uh, I think that's also kind of a very interesting uh, development because I mean certainly in erotica the story is important. I mean the story is the whole point of why you're uh, enjoying it. But uh for some reason porn takes this kind of uh like almost non ideological approach. Like we have to take porn always as non ideological. Like porn doesn't express anything and <laughs> if you are taking it that way then you're you're doing it wrong. <laughs> I think
1: Right, I mean, people, but I mean, I think porn is an artistic statement, right? And I think the fact that porn is so on aesthetic now, you know, again, 4K close-up shots, <laughs> I don't know, hyper-real anatomical, whatever, <laughs> is is a statement in and of itself. It's a statement of complete disregard of any artistic or aesthetic vision, and. I think to like bring it back, bring it back to Tumblr. I think the fact that porn used to be so prevalent on Tumblr and the fact that it's been completely, you know, I mean, you know, if the whole thing, right? That like in 2018, they deleted all the porn off Tumblr and now like yeah, no yeah, porn yeah. whatsoever exists on there. I think yeah. that's kind of, I think that's kind of a, an artistic statement as well. And I think that's kind of part of the reason of why, I mean, you know, Tumblr lives on, you know, there's a like a Tumblr revival going on right now. But I think ultimately it can never... Because porn is sort of the artistic medium of our day and the fact that no porn exists on Tumblr anymore kind of illustrates the fact that, you know, like, nothing of that sort can ever come from that place again.
0: Right, right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was just thinking about, like, um, just what the Tumblr have in mind banning porn? To me, it's such a strange kind of uh, such a strange kind of choice.
1: Well, it was because of child pornography, right? Like there was so much child pornography on the site that they, I guess, they didn't know how to. And then Apple, um, what is it called? Apple Store, like deleted the Tumblr um, app. From, like, their, like, you couldn't download the Tumblr app anymore. And so instead of, like, trying to, like, I don't know, better their filters or whatever, Tumblr just deleted all the porn. Yeah,
0: which is, you know, (laughs) I mean, that's a very strange policy for Apple to do as well. I mean, porn is just such a powerful force in the tech industry. I think that, like it's showing that Apple is kind of trying to expand outside of the American internet and move into other areas where, I mean, in China, for example, pornography is banned. You can't really produce pornography. You can maybe do it privately, but not on a large scale event. It, maybe this is going kind to of point to a, a different development in the global culture that we exist in. Maybe pornography won't be the ever, uh, over global artistic expression. Maybe it'll be like weird superhero kind of looking movies. I don't know.
1: Yeah, superhero looking movies without any of the POC characters because that's because people are racist in China. So you can't even have that. And also no
0: and also no sex at all. I think that's what's most fascinating to me about pornography going forward and that it clashes so violently. With the other dominant medium, which is superhero movies, I mean, superhero movies are huge all around the world, and they're really sexless. They're
1: pornographic, nonetheless, right? Yeah, I mean, because,
0: pornographic, yeah, yeah.
1: Because they like appeal to your most common, you know, base desires of like good and bad, good versus evil. Um, I don't know, you know, this is the bad guy, this is the good guy, and the good guy wins. Like that kind of thing, which is ultimately right. pornographic because it doesn't challenge you in any way.
0: Right. So I'm, I'm worried it'll get worse and we'll have a world that is pornographic without sex.
1: Yeah, I, I tweeted this. The I tweet. I tweeted this once. I was like, um, "The world is uh, everything is so profoundly no, Everything is so pornographic and so profoundly unerotic," <laughs> yeah. which I still stand by. I think that's true. Everything is so pornographic and so profoundly unerotic.